You are listening to the weekly sermon from Elevation Community Church in Blanchester, Ohio. We hope you enjoy this message from Brother Dennis Morris. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit myelevationcc.org. November 7th, 1971 is when I gave my heart to the Lord, and um, that experience was life-changing for me. In the last 53 years, I've seen the kingdom go all different ways, especially the American church, I, I've seen, uh, from the discipleship movement to the charismatic movement to the, uh, you name it, I've experienced it, I've seen it, we, you know... Um, and I've just seen a lot of brokenness. I've seen a lot of hurt. I've seen a lot of hurt in men and women. I've seen a lot of really challenging things. And so this morning, I want to take just a few minutes, and I want to talk about how we grow, how we're formed, the things we can do to really connect to the vine. Jesus said in John 15, if you remain in me, that's the Greek word, meno, it literally means make your house with me. He said, if you make your house with me, I'm going to do some really cool stuff with you. And so I want to talk to you about how we do that in our everyday life as people. We are very complex. Humanity is complex. I'm complex. You're complex. We all have a lot of things that has formed our lives, and we're going to talk about that. But before we do, would you open up your heart and let's ask the Father to just uh, instruct us through his word today. Uh, Father, you, uh, you're Abba, and you possess our hearts, and you, from the beginning of time, chose us in Christ. And um, you know each one of us, and we're going to discover a little bit more about that today, and how we're wired, and the things we've experienced in our life that made us who we are today. And, and Father, we just ask that, that you allow us just to take a baby step, just another step, just a little bit closer to your heart, to your beauty, to your majesty. And um, that we can have just a little bit more of that intoxicating joy, that peace that passes understanding, that we can see you in a different way that strengthens us, that encourages us, that, that um, uh, yeah, just, and, and, and God, that we can know that you're a real person and that you want to be close to us and you want us to be close to you. And so um, we ask that you just help us as we navigate through the next half hour and as we talk about some things that can encourage us to walk closer to you. And Jesus, we pray through your name and by your authority and because of your sacrifice to the Father and Holy Spirit, we pray by your inspiration as you lead us in the wonderful, majestic name of our Redeemer and Messiah, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, I'm going to give you a couple terms that we use. We use the word discipleship. 
we use the word spiritual formation. And what we mean by those terms is this. It is, or, and, and, excuse me, and a new word that's come out in the last decade is the word apprentice. And the word apprentice speaks even more about how we grow. And, and what we mean by those terms is this. How a person is formed in their inner man or inner woman to be with Jesus, to become more like Jesus, and to do the things that Jesus did. And, and, and it's not that it's linear in the, or sequential in that way, but it really does start with being with Jesus. We're not going to do the things of Jesus, and we're not going to become like him unless we really enjoy just being with him and experiencing his beauty and experiencing his majesty. So, so when we talk about spiritual formation, we're just talking about how a person's soul is, is grown, is developed, how our inner person becomes all that God wants us to be. Are we okay with that? So I want to take that. That's, that's all we, when we say discipleship, apprenticeship, uh, spiritual formation, that's all we mean. Now, let me define the word formation. Formation is the process that, has, that we have gone through, and everybody's formed. Formation started in your mother's womb. Adolf Hitler was formed spiritually by the dark spirit, not the light spirit, but he was formed through his experiences. You were formed by your experiences. All formation means is it's the process by which I have become human to the point that I am human at this moment. All right? So let me give you an example. Less today, but still, I deal with anger. Because I was formed in a household of anger. Ex- I mean, explosive, abusive anger. Now, I've come a long way. Uh, sometimes um, I, 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 I see it escalating, and I, and I push it down because of what the Holy Spirit has done to me to this point in my life. But that formed me. I was formed by a Marine Corps sergeant father. I was formed that I was the fourth and six children. I was the youngest of four, so I was the baby of that four, but I was the oldest of the next two that came a few years later. That formed me. I was formed by my older siblings. I was formed by my older sister, who I believe never did like me, and to today probably still doesn't like me that much. Not, you know, I'm not sure about that. I think I... Whatever, that's a different story. But, but, but I was formed. I was formed by that. I was formed by a brother who's 16 months older than me who always weighed about 50 pounds heavier. And it's not that he was mean to me, but he was just big and I was being hurt all the time. And I remember going around the swimming pool. I would, I would clock him and then I'd get, go to our swimming pool, go in a circle. So what he would do is he would just duck down. You know, but I was formed by those experiences. I was formed by my early church experiences. I was formed by the, the, the elders who, who talked to me and brought me into a meeting as a 16-year-old boy and said, you're having groups in your house holding hands and praying with the lights out. We want you to stop doing that. That for me, and, and they're not bad guys. They, they were, that was in the 70s. They, they didn't know what to do with that. That was that hippie movement stuff. I had long hair, and I was part of that. They were great guys. 
they just, they just didn't know what to do with that because things were changing. Things were happening. The, the church is always growing and changing. But I was formed by that. I was formed by the seminary I went to that was a very legalistic seminary, and they spoke into me. And I had one professor look at me, Dr. Davenport, who's passed since, and he said, you know what? You have so much going, but you're an eight-cylinder guy who's only operating on four cylinders because I didn't embrace everything he said. I was formed by that. Okay? I, I, was, I was formed by, by the abuse that I experienced as a child. And, and, and I don't want to go in depth about that, but, but that formed me. I was, I, I, I was formed by the bosses I had, the employers I had. I was formed by the first time I was a youth pastor, and, and I had a bunch of teenagers around me who, who had no desire to know God at all. And I looked at that and said, what do I do? That, that, that formed me. I was formed by my first marriage and the conflict. My first wife is not a bad woman. She and I just had a lot of brokenness, and we weren't able to make it work because of that brokenness. But I was formed formed by the sin I committed in my early 30s that led to divorce. I was formed by those things. See, all those are things that's me. It's, it's, It's part of me. And you have those same kind of things. Now, I was also formed by the great worship. Man, in the 70s and the Jesus movement, woo! Long hair flying. And of course, when I went to seminary, I had to cut it all off. But anyway, that's a different story too. But, but I was formed by that. I was formed by those, those young men and women in their early 20s who wrapped their arms around me and, and nurtured me. I was formed by a gentleman named Gaston Tarbet, who was a missionary in Africa who came and he just put his arm around me. I was formed by a man named Bill Smith who has put his arm around me as a school teacher and said, I'm going to introduce you to a deeper walk with Jesus. So I had all those good things. And you do too. We have the good and we have the bad. We have been formed. And I don't want to, to, to neglect as I go forward to realizing that where you are today is because of all those things. And I want to look at a passage with you, and, and I want to talk more about my need for growth, and maybe you will see yourself as I look at this. Look at this in Matthew chapter 5. This, we're going to start with the Beatitudes, and we, I may walk us through a little bit through the whole uh, Sermon on the Mount. By the way, this is, uh, this is my first Bible I ever bought. It was like 1976 I bought this, and my junior, senior year in high school, I would just go to school with my Bible in my back pocket and my Levi jeans. And, uh, and so I thought, man, I'm going to just resurrect this thing and bring it back and look at the notes of where, where was I when I was 16 years old? What did I think about? But look at this. When Jesus saw his ministry dawn, drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, isn't that a cool word? They knew we were, we're, we're connected. I'm with you. They committed. They climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. This is what he said. You're blessed. Are we ready? Yeah. When you're... 
I don't like this. But he says, you're blessed when you, Dennis, you're at the end of your rope. I want to do everything I can not to get to the end of my rope. I want to have more space to hold on. But he says, I'm blessed when that happens. He says, because Dennis, with less of you, man, with less of you, Dennis, this is what's going to happen. There's more of God and his rule in your life. That's what I I need to be formed by that. That needs to become real in me. My ego, my arrogance, my anger has to submit to that. I had to lay that down, and I had to say, less of me is good, and more of him is what I need. He says, you're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You see, that doesn't happen because I just read that. That happens because I have spent hours and hours and hours of meditation and reflection and getting that inside my inner person to where I realize that I'm truly, this isn't a, this isn't a story. This isn't a, just words. This is life. And that I'm truly a different person when I allow this to happen to me. Then, Dennis, you can be embraced by the one most dear to you. See, when I get real busy and I just keep going and stuff, he's starting to embrace me. I mean, he, I, I, I visualize Jesus just trying to embrace me and I'm running over here and he's trying to embrace me. I'm running. He's saying, I want to embrace you, Dennis. And then he says, you're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. What is he saying? He is saying when you position yourself in Christ, you accept who you are in Jesus and know what he's doing in you, you'll be blessed if you allow that good work to happen in your life. He says you're blessed when you're working up a good appetite for God. His food and drink, and that is the best meal you'll ever eat. Amen? Man, I think, I think watching that next, next Netflix series is what's best for me. I'm not, I'm not saying anything bad about Netflix, but that's what I run to. When I, when, I, when I need food, when I need drink, I run to entertainment. I run to leisure. I run to pleasure. And he's saying, no, 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 Dennis. Let that appetite, let that good appetite for God, let it, let, it, let it be there. Soak in that a little bit. Let that food and drink be the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At that moment, being careful, you find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world. This is what I want to hear. For me, this means so much to me. When I give my inside world, my mind, my heart, put right, then, Dennis, you can see God in the outside world. Wow. You're blessed, Dennis, when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. Man, the kingdom's been filled with tensions and Almost the last 50 years, there's been little squabbles, little divisions, little fights, little struggles. And he says, man, this is happening everywhere. 
But you're blessed when you can help people cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed, Dennis, when your commitment to God provokes persecution. I wish he didn't say that. When it provokes persecution, the persecution drives you, Dennis, even deeper into God's kingdom. Now watch this next phrase. Not only that, Dennis, but count yourself blessed every time people put you down. Do you realize I don't like that? Don't put me down today. It's probably going to happen sometime today. I just want you to know up front, I, I don't appreciate that. I don't like that. Uh, but I put people down. I sin. See, part of our formation is I sin against you. And I hurt you. You sin against me. And we live in a world of sin all around us. We see it everywhere. He says, but you're blessed, Dennis. When they throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they're uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even, for though you don't like it, I do. Yay, God! Give it a cheer. Get excited about this. I know you don't like it, Dennis, but I do. Okay, Father. And then he says, in all heaven, applause. <laughs> what do you do with that? Do you see the inner turmoil? That doesn't become real in my life because I read it. That becomes real in my life because I meditate on it. I pray over it. I fast over it. I contemplate it. I get in a time of solitude and I bring it into my life and I embrace it. He says, um, and know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always got into this kind of trouble. And let me just, just um, I mean, just as you walk through this Sermon on the Mount, it's really crazy stuff. I mean, and he, he says, you know what? If you got a problem with somebody, don't you come here to the altar. Don't you take com communion. Don't you do this. You go resolve that first. That's a fairy tale. He's not serious about that. I'm allowed to have a problem with people for years upon years, for months upon months. He's not serious about that. He is serious because he wants to use that experience to form me in his image. And to make me like him. To bring me into that relationship with him. Yes. I really don't like. I, 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 I really don't like that whole non-anxious living stuff. Don't worry. Really God? Don't worry. Don't be anxious about anything. I was listening to a speaker this week. And he was talking to his wife. It was John Mark Comer. He was talking to his wife and said. And because he, he talks about how he struggles with living a non-anxious life. And he asked his wife, he said, honey, do you think I can ever overcome this? And he said, she's, and he's 43. She said, oh, yes, absolutely you will. Oh, great, when? I think sometime in your mid-60s. <laughs> you know, 
because, because it's a journey. It's a journey. But in Matthew, when he says, don't worry about anything. And what about that chapter 7, verse 1? He says, don't judge anybody. I'm not saying you can't discern truth, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but that person is never to be judged or put under your judgment in any way. Because he says, for the way you judge, you're going to be judged. I don't want to judge anybody, but oh my goodness, I do. What about the whole thing about sexual purity in a world where we sexualize everything? He's serious. I don't want you to have a lustful thought in any way ever for the rest of your life, Dennis. I can't be like that unless I'm at his feet allowing myself to embrace me, be fully embraced by him and me fully embracing him. I've been working on the Sermon on the Mount for the last three years. I can't get past it. And I don't want to get past it until it gets deep down into my heart. What about you? Do you see areas where maybe the Holy Spirit needs to form you? Just maybe a little bit more? I want to introduce you to a person I consider to be the cruelest person in the New Testament. This is in Matthew chapter 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth Follow me and be my disciple. Jesus said to him, so Matthew, got up, so Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home, his dinner and castle, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable, disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such gum? And please leave that up there for a while. So Matthew was a tax collector. Do you understand what a tax collector in that culture? He was a Jewish man who was a tax collector in Capernaum, which is a quaint little town on the Sea of Galilee. A tax collector had to betray all of his nationality. And he would go to Rome and he would bid to be the person who was allowed to collect taxes in his hometown of Capernaum. And and they would give that to him and what he would do is, because the Romans didn't care, they believed that the best person to collect tax from a Jewish person was a Jewish person who would understand all the systems of the Jewish people, where they hide their money, what, what they do with their money, how to come up with money. And so, so what a tax collector had the right to do is Rome said, this is how much money I need. And whatever you get above that is yours. It's called stealing. It's called being a thief. See, he was a brute. He did not mind going to a Jewish family who needed to pay $3 and say, I want $6. If you don't give me $6, I will enforce it by brutalizing you and hurting you and taking things away from you and even putting you in prison. That's who Matthew was. And by the way, you know who the sinners were around Matthew? The sinners were the mob. Because everybody, wanted, especially the zealous, wanted to kill Matthew. And so he had to have the sinners around him, the mob. This was, this was a racketeer. And they would protect him so that he would not be harmed because 
part of the share that the tax collector received, he would give to the sinners. And guess who else is part of the sinners group? That's the prostitutes, because a tax collector was empty. They brutalized people. They used people. They didn't know what love was. They didn't know how to extend love. They didn't know how to, get to, to, to receive love. And so the only way they could receive love was if they bought it from a prostitute of some sort. Yes, that was, that was Matthew. Matthew was a brute. You know, it's known that tax collectors would even kill people. They had no mercy. They would take the, the father who had, had the, um, bring provision. They had the authority to put them in jail if that father did not give them the money that they want. And all the people hated the tax collector. The tax collector was terrible. The, the, the only thing I can... If you think about the mafia or some of those kind of shows where the Don and the, 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 the leader of the guy was just that brute and he would have the, his minions to go do it, that was, that was Matthew. Okay? Now what I want you to see is this. As Jesus was walking along, he saw. And by the way, who's writing this? Matthew is the one writing telling the autobiography of his life and how this happened. And he said, he saw. This is the Greek word that, that, that means I saw right through you. Have you ever been to someone that just had that look? Brenton Brent and I, we have a construction company, and we do a, a lot of, uh, about 1,200 construction jobs a, a year. And sometimes we get into a job that just really don't know what to do. And, and by the way, I've never, I know nothing about construction. Okay? I hire, I, I know nothing about it. And so we'll get a struggle with a particular job, and I'll bring a couple of our guys, Justin or Chuck, and they'll, they'll look at this job. And then they'll look at me, or look at one of the managers, and say, I got it. That's the look. Man, I love it when I see that look. What about your wife? Has your wife or your husband ever looked at you and you just see them looking like right into your soul? They, I mean, they're, they're just really looking at you. Huh? Have, have you guys ever experienced that? That's the look. That's what he's seeing here. He's seeing that he saw a man. He saw. He looked. And he saw a man do you realize in the synagogue, oftentimes they would talk about the tax collectors and they had a phrase that if a tax collector started to repent for all their sins today, there wouldn't be enough time in eternity to keep them out of hell. They hated the tax collectors. And he said, he saw a man, not a tax collector, a man like me that was formed. What happened in his life for him to be formed to where he would brutalize, betray his nationality and brutalize the people that he grew up with? What happened to him? And then Jesus came 
And Jesus looked at him with that look. And he saw a man. A man. Named Matthew. Sitting at his tax collector's booth. And I want you to understand this next phrase. Follow me and be my disciple. Wow. That would be like a Harvard the president of Harvard coming to your 18-year-old and saying, you know what, I'm going to give you a full ride and I'm going to tutor you all the way through Harvard. And I'm going to make sure you get the degree you need and that you're going to be successful. When Jesus looked at Matthew, who was what they called a scum, and he said to Matthew, follow me and be my disciple, that was crazy. I mean, I can't understand, I can't, can't give you words to know in our culture just how different that would be. And Jesus says to him, so Matthew got up and followed him. Now, why did Matthew follow him? You know why he followed him, I believe? Because of that look. He saw a man. He saw a man. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Now, look at this. Many tax collectors, they were all getting... I find it so humorous that Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector, Jesus put them in the ring together. Figure it out, guys. Don't you find that interesting? Because you know what a zealot is? A zealot was a person who wanted the, the Jewish culture to come from uh, the Jewish nation to be separate from the Roman nation, and they would actually kill Roman soldiers. They would actually kill tax collectors. That's why the tax collectors had the sinners, had the mobs around them to protect them. And here they're in a room, and, and all, Matthew's saying, hey guys, come on. And guess what? I believe Jesus had that look. For every one of them, because Jesus knew what he could do in their life, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, What does your teacher eat? Why does your teacher eat with such scum? Now, uh, I know we could say Paul was an evil person, but Paul was doing stuff believing that he was right. Matthew was doing stuff knowing that it was evil and he didn't care about brutalizing, murdering and stealing and hurting people and keeping you in poverty. So, question for you. What happened in Matthew's life that in three years later, Matthew would write at the end of Jesus' life what Jesus said, Go and make disciples. Go and make apprentices. Go and make people. Help form people into my image. What happened in his life that allowed those things to happen? What did Jesus do? What did Matthew experience that would take him from that dramatic place to where Jesus trusted him to go make disciples? By the way, let me say this. Don't go make disciples unless you've been with Jesus. Just don't. Because you're going to make this, you're not, you're not going to make, yeah, just don't do it. You, know? you have to be with Jesus. 
You know, and there's a big difference between being saved. That's your beginning. That's, that's the first part, being saved. But then you've got to discover what salvation means by being with Jesus. And we have a lot of people who's, who's in churches who are redeemed, but they never experience being with Jesus. Being with Jesus. And, and, and don't try to make disciples unless you have become like him. You've worked through issues with him. And, and, and don't try to make disciples unless you have a sense about how to do the things that Jesus did, how to live an open-hearted life. See, we, we quickly say, go make disciples, but we have a lot of people who've never been with Jesus. See, and let me say this to you. The purpose where we, the reason we all come together in a corporate gathering is to encourage each other to keep being with Jesus. This isn't the being with Jesus. This is part of that. But the purpose of this is that I can spur you on to keep being with Jesus. To, to keep being molded and formed by the Spirit of God. So everything we do when we come together, this is two hours. Maybe four hours. I don't know when I'll be done. But anyway, that's a different... No. Somebody told me the chicken's not coming until 11.30. Keep going. So, uh, <laughs> when I started seeing the elders doing this, you know, <laughs> chicken's here. No, I'm just a few, just a few more minutes. And, and, but the reason we come together, for instance, uh, one, and we just, I'm going to just share with you some practices. And I want to teach you, uh, share with you the practice of the Word of God. Why do we have the written word of God? There's five reasons, and there may be many more. I want to just share with you five real quick. Number one, to teach you truth. The inspired word of God, we need to know what, what's true. Number two, to teach you what's right and wrong. <laughs> this is good, this is bad. Number three, to teach us meaning of life. Why we're here, which it answers the four questions. Uh, why I'm here, or who brought me here, why I'm here, how I'm supposed to live, and what happens to me after I die. But there's two other things that it does. The Word of God teaches us how to have contemplative prayer and how to, to pray the Scriptures and how to pray out of the heart of God by being alone with Him. Uh, there was one year I spent a whole year on just Psalms 23. I didn't get out of Psalms 23. I kept meditating, kept contemplation, kept focusing on that until it became real to where I can say, he, it, 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 not in theory, not in not a good word to quote, but I can say as I went through my life, he's my shepherd. He's my shepherd. Oh, I don't want Nah, no, I don't want... See, that didn't happen because I read it. It happened because I spent time in that Word. And then the fifth thing, the Word of God teaches us how to go from contemplation into true communion with the triune God, into a true intimacy, into a true fellowship with the triune God. And so when we all come together, the whole purpose of coming together is to encourage you to keep doing those things, to keep equipping you to do that, 
to keep get, to continue nourishing. Why do we have elders and shepherds? Their purpose is to wrap their arms around you and help you experience the fullness of what God has in your life in everyday life, from morning to daylight. That when you that your first thought is the Father, your last thought is the Father, and and the purpose of of leadership in the church is to help nurture you, to shepherd you into the fullness of the likeness of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to share with you, and then I'm going to end. I'm going to just kind of whet your appetite. This is out of the book, uh, John Mark Comer, on practicing the way. And, and they have nine, and I'm going to just read these, and I'm going to quickly add three more. And the reason I'm doing this is just to whet your appetite, that there's, there's so much out there in God. I mean, so much. I mean, John chapter 7. Let's read John chapter 7, Daphne, real quick. Is it chicken here, gentlemen? <laughs> Listen to what Jesus said. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who's thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declares what? Rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Now, you can read that, but I'm telling you, all that is is text to you unless you've spent time with Jesus and you experience that living water flowing from your innermost being. That's what I want for all of you. So here's some practices. A rule of life from practicing the way that this is just to, just to give you a glimpse. Number one, and I'm 64. I need my readers. And I'm a grandpa of 17 so and a great-grandfather. Um, role of life, number one, a community of rest and a culture of hurry and exhaustion through the practice of Sabbath. We just got to rest, unplug, get rid of the devices, close your eyes and just rest in God. And let your body rest, let your mind rest, let your thoughts rest, just still yourself. Number two, second practice, a community of peace and quiet and a culture of anxiety and noise. Wow! Through the practice of solitude, just stilling yourself, just being quiet. Number three, a community of communion with God and a culture of distraction and escapism through the practice of prayer. Now, in the, in the American church, we know about the prayer of petition. We know about the prayer of intercession. We know very little about the prayer of meditation and the prayer of contemplation. Uh, but the prayer of contemplation is what really makes prayer really good. Really good. Number four, a community of love and depth and a culture. By the way, that's not saying petition, intercession. That's great. That, that's part of it. But it's not the only part of prayer. The Father wants us to hear his heart, wants us to listen to him, wants us to experience him in, in prayer. I love uh, what one person said about solitude and prayer. He said, it's, and the phrase was, allow love to love you. Love loving you. Let me say that again. Love loving you. That's solitude. That's that's. I love what Mother Teresa went. She was in the interview several years back on 60 Minutes. And um, she was being interviewed and talking about prayer. And she said, okay, so when you pray, what do you, what do you say to God? She said, I don't say anything. 
Dan Rather was kind of like, hmm, it's kind of, look it up on YouTube, it's kind of fun to watch. Dan Rather's just kind of, and then, then he comes back and says, okay. So she goes, I don't say anything, I just listen. And so, okay, so what does God say? And she said, oh, he doesn't say anything, he just listens. And then she said, I'm sorry to Dan Rather, I'm sorry if you don't understand this, but I can't explain it. That's a cool place to be, where you're just in the presence of love, being loved. So, so that's, that's the practice of prayer. Community of love and death in a culture of individualism and superficiality um, through the practice of community. So we fight against individual, individualism and superficiality by letting people really know me. Open my heart. You open your heart. Um, number five, a community of courageous fidelity in the band can come up and pre uh, prepare themselves. A community of courageous fidelity to orthodoxy and a culture of ideological compromise. What? Through the practice of scripture. Yeah. But let me say this. We have to know the word of God. We got to meditate it. We got to learn it. We, we got to let the word of God dwell in us through the practice of scripture. Number six, a community of holiness and a culture of indulgence and immorality through the practice of fasting. Man, put yourself, I, I, I used to think about food, but just put your cell phone away for a day. <laughs> People would rather give up their food than put their cell phone away. But fasting, where you set those things aside and you fast to come to know the Father deeper. Number seven, a community of contentment and a culture of consumerism through the practice of generosity. Hey, listen, just have an open heart. Just give freely. Give your time, give your heart, give your money, give your finances. As the Spirit leads you, just give. Be generous to people. That's a discipline. That's a practice. Eighth practice, a community of justice, mercy, and reconciliation and a culture of injustice and division through the practice of serving one another. Man, I tell you why, if you're about ready to have a contentious argument, just go get a water, water base and say, can I just wash your feet first before we navigate through this discussion? And then a community of hospitality and a culture of hostility through the practice of witness. I would add three more. The practice of confession of sin. Get that stuff off you, man. Just, just get it off you. <laughs> you know, just let it go. It's like, Father, I, I, I did this. Just, just confess. Uh, uh, the practice of gratitude to where you, you just live a life of thankfulness. God, I have breath in my lungs. Thank you. Oh, God, my atoms are still keeping me together. Thank you. Just gratitude. Just, 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 just gratitude. And then there's one more, but I'm 64 and I forgot about it. So, um, so let's pray. God, I, I ask that um, these words that I shared would just um, maybe uh, help us all to just have a little bit um, more of a desire to want to spend time alone with you, to develop that intimacy and that closeness where rivers of living water just truly flow from us. And that it's not an academia, but it's real stuff. And so God teaches how to fellowship with the triune person of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How to fellowship with love and to receive love and to give love. God, grow us, apprentice us, help us to really know and understand and grow in what it means to be.
be with you. In the majestic name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. If you'd like to go deeper with another resource from our church, please check out our weekly impact Bible study podcast as well. Both of our podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. 